Hi, and welcome to Health, Wealth and the Pursuit of Happiness, a podcast that will empower you to live a more inspired life and find real freedom. Each episode, Mark Dale Mazer and Aries Jimenez discuss best life practices, covering topics ranging from health and well-being, to true wealth and our relationship to money, to understanding what real freedom and happiness really is. They provide tools and a system for helping you live a balanced, authentic life in complete harmony with your mind, body and soul. Aries. Mark. Welcome. How are you doing this day? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good too. We're both doing very well because it's sunny. We've left Portland and Seattle here in San Diego. Finally (laughs) left us. We have a sunny, warm day. It's been a long time coming. It's a beautiful day here in San Diego for sure. It's great. feels great. Today's topic is the third of the trilogy. We've talked about and framed and teed up health, talked about teed up wealth. Now we're going to talk about and tee up happiness. Happiness. So interestingly for our listening audience, happiness, wow, way more work done on the subject of happiness than I could have ever imagined. Spiritual teachers over the millennial philosophers, researchers. It's been really interesting. A lot of people looking into and digging into happiness. This has been one of the deeper learning, historically learning episodes that I've experienced so far. I'd agree. Same goes for me as well. Yeah. So here's our intention. This is a deep subject and opinions and thoughts about happiness are quite far ranging. We thought we would start with a summary of some really key people that we have both researched and taken a deep dive in and giving you sort of a little background on how these people, all of which you will have heard of, approach happiness. And we think that happiness is an important piece to living an inspired life of freedom, that it is perhaps an ingredient of, perhaps an outcome of. And for myself, the reason it's in the title is that I have always been somewhat fascinated with happiness and just try to understand it better. And not just happiness, but also understanding the pursuit of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that. Is it even something you can pursue? Right. What's that all about? So you're going to take the deep dive with us and we're going to learn together and we're going to begin expanding not only our minds on the subject, but we will expand yours as well. And so with that, Aries, lead us forth with a great quote from one of the several people we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, so Aristotle, he frames happiness as happiness is the meaning and purpose of life the whole aim and end of human existence. Now, if that's not deep, I don't know what is. I mean, just just thinking about that quote, I mean, I don't even know where to go from there. Exactly. You, know, you got to kind of digest that a little bit. And so with that, I wanted to take a look at the definition of happiness in the Oxford Dic- English Dictionary, which states, you know, the state of being happy, which is feeling or showing pleasure or contentment. And so in our research, 
there's a couple things that have come up. One of them is definitely this concept of pleasure as well. And, you know, one of the things that Aristotle also brings up is this whole concept of meaning and purpose around happiness. And so I think it'd be good for us to differentiate and maybe just talk about the differences between the three, you know, as we go into some of the research that we've done. And so what's the difference between pleasure and happiness? Okay. So pleasure is experienced in the moment. Okay. Whether it's eating food, getting massage, I mean, whatever, whatever floats your boat, right? Whatever it is that brings you pleasure. It's a creation of positive feelings, right? While happiness is, although it's not a permanent state, it is more stable than pleasure. So pleasure can be something that's fleeting, right? Like an example of that would be, you know, back to, again, getting the massage, mm-hmm. right? So like, and I think Mel has a couple's massage plan for Father's Day this nice. coming weekend. But when I get a massage, when I'm in there and I'm getting my massage on, right, there is that sense of pleasure, right? That yeah. sense of, you know, it feels good. But once the massage is done, that feeling of pleasure, it's gone, right? And so that's what it's meant in terms of, you know, it's in the moment, whereas happiness, it's a little bit more stable. So I think in, if we're talking about it in terms of time, you know, you're kind of in that state for a longer period of time, right? It lasts longer than a few moments. Now, happiness versus meaning, right? Meaning is generally something that is not a fleeting state that comes and goes. No. You know, it's more comprehensive. It's a sense of purpose and feeling of that you're, you know, you're contributing to something greater than yourself, right? And so I would say that, you know, meaning is... It's not fleeting. Meaning is just something that you you have or you don't have. I think it's pretty foundational to most people. Yeah. If not all people. Right. Yeah. And so with that, you know, having kind of touched on those three different words, mm-hmm. let's go into kind of the research that we've done. But prior to doing that, one thing that I want to throw out there is a lot of the research that we did for this episode, a lot of the material came from a website called pursuitofhappiness.org. And so I just want to throw that out there. And obviously we're, we're just sharing some of the resources that we, we've come across. And a good amount of that came from that website. So for, for those of you that are interested in learning more, definitely worth checking out. A ton of information, research yes. regarding happiness on yes. there. And that'll be in the show notes, by the way. Yep. I'll give you all links to that. So Mark, if you will, start us off with Thank some you, of the research. Yeah. In terms so, of history. Well, I'm really excited to bring to you the four individuals. Aries and I will alternate between those that we did research. And the first on my list is Buddha. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a student of Buddhism, but there are many principles in Buddhism that I follow. And I am somewhat learned in that. And so it was with great enthusiasm that I wanted to dive in to see like, Where's Buddha on this whole happiness thing? And of course, one of my favorite quotes, which interestingly, when I did the research, um, I did not find any verifiable information that this quote was actually attributable to Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to share it because it is part of sort of the Dharma and the teachings that, that he has shared and that we now read over the years. And that is, 
more more the story in this quote kind of goes like this that one of his students came to him and said master what is what is the meaning of happiness what is true happiness and his answer essentially was it's the end of all suffering now i was very struck by that comment or that quote regardless of where it came from because what it seemed to me that that happiness perhaps was not so much the thing itself but the absence of something, you're left with happiness. Which then made me think, well, does that mean that it's something more innate in us? I mean, when I look at suffering, I do not look at suffering as being, while it is certainly part of the human existence, I don't think it is sort of one of those innate things that we must all participate in and just know that that's the way it's like supposed to be. I think suffering is a result of different experiences that we as humans may find ourselves going through. And the consequence of that experience is that we suffer. And I think it's nothing more than that. And suffering can be a catalyst it can be a catalyst for change because no one likes to remain in suffering. Um, either way, I was kind of struck by that. And so I'd like to take a little bit deeper dive with Buddha. Now, the interesting thing about really all of his writings is that there is a path. He considers happiness sort of a destination, if you will, a part of a journey. And so he often uses this term that there's a path to happiness, which is for his teachings, at the root of his teachings, start from an understanding regarding the root causes of suffering. And he goes on and say that suffering and happiness are described as follows. And I'm going to quote from the first and second verses of the Dhammapada, which is one of the earliest known collections of some of his sayings. And this is the first verse. And I quote, All that we are is a result of what we have thought. It is founded on our thoughts. It is made up of our thoughts. If one speaks or acts with an evil thought, pain follows one as the wheel follows the foot of the ox that draws the wagon. Second verse goes like this. It's the polar opposite. All that we are is a result of what we have thought, and it's founded on our thoughts. It's made up of our thoughts. If one speaks or acts with a pure thought, happiness follows one like a shadow that never leaves. So what we see in both of these verses is that there is a sense of our suffering that's simply caused by what we think. Absolutely. It might be something from the past. It might be something from the future. It doesn't matter. But the suffering is born with a thought. The thought may emanate from a belief, but either way, it becomes a thought, and the thought is then experienced emotionally, and often that can be either suffering or it can be happiness. So interesting perspective there. And I'll go on to kind of sort of tie this into some of the other things that we talked about in previous podcasts, okay? So when we fully follow this belief and the teachings of Buddha, he goes on and pretty much advises, if you will, of a cure for ending, for ending suffering. Now there's a leading down to this sort of series of teachings called his Eightfold Path. But what's really interesting is that Within those teachings, he does talk about sort of a type of medicine, and that medicine really is meditation. 
And I think that the power in meditation with respect to the suffering that we can often experience as a result of our thoughts is that meditation doesn't shut the thoughts off, but what it does do is it does not allow the thoughts to linger and to sort of, let's say, experience your thoughts like a runaway train that's clearly leading to a crash and that you have no control over. But instead, the power of meditation is really coming back to the present moment. Because really, all the thoughts that cause the suffering are generally in the past, are generally looked to the future. So through the discipline of meditation, we control the mind by being in the present moment, and that's kind of the magical cure or medicine for the cure. Because he goes on that when you're fully present in the moment, your mind cannot be occupied with other thoughts. And that is one of the sort of magical mechanics of meditation. Whether you're focusing on the breath or you're focusing on a dharma or you're focusing rather on a mantra, whatever it might be, okay, you are not able to hold and run away with these other thoughts in your monkey mind. You're not thinking. You can't. You're just in the moment. In the moment. And so that was my takeaway from a high level of what Buddha is all about with respect to happiness in contrast with suffering and what we can do to kind of help ourselves through that. And I would definitely say that, you know, I I think a part of the pursuit of happiness is knowing what makes you happy and what what doesn't make you happy, right? And kind of Buddha's approach is, well, if you just focus on the things that, that don't make you happy, the suffering, the things that cause suffering, and you'll you away from happiness. You eliminate those things. You remove yourself from those things. You, whether you know, we talked about this in past episodes. Relationships, the type of work that you want to do. I mean, yes. those types of things. Exactly. If you just focus on that, what you truly are left with is is happiness. That's interesting. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Socrates. So Socrates was a Greek philosopher during the ancient Greek period. And he's well known for the, the quote, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yes. And you imagine if he was examining his life, happiness was a topic that he touched on. And so Socrates was actually the first known figure in the West to argue that happiness is obtained through human effort, meaning that it's actually like us as humans, we have to actually do something to achieve and, and to be happy, right? And his key, his key takeaway, right, was that the key to happiness is to turn one's attention away from the body. And when I think of that, I think of like the physical and more of like the worldly us, right? And to, to turn towards the soul, the inner our inner being, right? Again, our spirit. And so I view that as, you know, the key to happiness is is very much a very spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, what we see with Socrates is that regarding Western philosophy, happiness is very much at the forefront of, you know, of Western philosophy, right? It was such a huge topic. And we'll see that as we, as we move forward and we, we discuss other, you know, philosophers, spiritual teachers, right. That touched on this. 
And so I'll leave you with this from Socrates. You know, he concluded that one, all people desire happiness. Okay. So that's a desire that we all have. And two, happiness does not depend on external things, but rather how those things are used. And so with that second point there, what what I think about is, you know, some people think that more money as an example will lead to more happiness. And according to Socrates, that's not the case. That's not the case, right? And and I'm sure we've seen that, you know, throughout history and we've we've seen examples of that whether it's say someone that has won the lottery, right? Sometimes winning the lottery does not create more happiness. If anything, it probably creates more suffering for for some, right? Why is that the case? And a lot of it is because of how that money is being used, right? So just found that very interesting. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Well, let's kind of continue with the philosophers, if you will. So I also did a philosopher in Aristotle, whom you quoted opening in the early part of the podcast episode. And I will quote him as well, that happiness depends on ourselves. And I think the interesting thing about Aristotle's view of happiness is that it's really a central purpose of human life, number one. And number two, it's actually, to Aristotle, it was a goal in and of itself. It's like an end game. And he kind of makes his case this way, and I'm going to kind of loosely quote what Aristotle has somewhat said in making this case. Everywhere we see people seeking pleasure, wealth, and a good reputation. But while each of these has some value, none of them can really occupy the place of the chief good for which humanity should aim. To be an ultimate end, an act must be self-sufficient and final. That which is always desirable in itself and never for the sake of something else. And again, he's putting happiness into this category. And it obviously must be attainable, able to be attained by man. He claims that nearly everyone would agree that happiness is the end which meets all of these requirements. It's easy enough to see that we desire money and pleasure and and honor only because we believe that these goods, as he says, will make us happy. But it also seems that other things are a means towards obtaining happiness. And while happiness, in addition to that, is always an end in itself. So as a final goal that encompasses a total of one's life, he says it's not something that can be gained or lost in a few hours because that's like what we talked about. There's there's the pleasurable stuff which comes and then it goes. But rather happiness he sees as something you sort of measure. You can measure it in the moment, but the reality is, is he looks at it as a measurement at the end of your life. And sort of in the same way that like a football game, you wouldn't say at halftime that it was a great game because the game isn't over yet. You say that at the end of the game. So he also sees happiness as something that is sort of this evaluation of your life at the end of your life where you can look back and say, yes, I lived a happy life. So it's another way to look at it as a goal as well. So I love that perspective. Talking about philosophers, John Locke was a well-known English philosopher, and his political writings actually helped influence 
both the French and American revolutions. He was actually responsible for the term or the phrase pursuit of happiness, which was later taken by Thomas Jefferson and incorporated into the Declaration of Independence. So Locke came up with that one. Yeah, so okay. Locke is responsible for the pursuit, pursuit of, of happiness, right? And so, you know, with Locke, you know, some of the things that, that he determined and concluded was that God gave us the desire to pursue happiness, right? And that happiness motivates everything that we do. You know, one of the things that he doing my research on him that really jumped out at me was there's distinguished differences between what he frames and calls imaginary happiness and true happiness. And so for him, imaginary happiness really deals with false pleasures, instant gratification, you know, it's short term and it's often followed by pain. And so back to the example that I use, I would say getting massages would be kind of imaginary happiness, would kind of <laughs> fall into that category. Mm-hmm. One, because it, it is instant gratification in the moment, right? It's short term in terms of, you know, an hour, hour and a half in terms of massage. Often followed by pain, a lot of times the next day after getting a massage and not having gotten one in a while, there is some muscle pain there, right? But it's, it's something that, again, I, I feel like, this imaginary happiness, it's something that's fleeting, right? That you kind of have for a moment and then it's its gone. Where he talks about true happiness being from true pleasures and is long-lasting. And what I really equate from that is that he's really talking about purpose and meaning and the things, you know, surrounding that. Cool. Victor Frankl, same thing with meaning. Now, Viktor Frankl is a psychologist, a neuroscientist, or a neurologist, psychiatrist, and of course, survivor of the Holocaust. Now, the interesting thing about Viktor Frankl and why I picked him was not so much that he talked about happiness, because actually his work is not so much about happiness. But when he alludes to happiness, the thing that's central to his work was his own experience in the concentration camps. And that's central to his survival in the camps was actually through that trying, difficult, torturous experience. He made it through there by actually looking for the meaning and the purpose for himself in the midst of that hell. And I thought that was very profound. And I do think it ties somewhat, again, to the purpose and meaningful aspect of kind of living your life. And I do think that there is a tie to the happiness experience as a result. You know, he goes on and really talks about that it's like innate in the human to really strive to find meaning in life. I think that that certainly has been true for me. And I'm sure it's true to some degree for many people. I mean, and I look at the people around me, I think to varying degrees people at some point in their life or throughout their life definitely looked to that question. What's my purpose? What more meaning can I derive? When we're feeling a little empty, we, we tend to revert to looking for an answer in that way. So I thought it was interesting that rather than isolating happiness as sort of a thing, 
is that Frankel's work all pointed towards having a meaningful and purposeful life, which would essentially eliminate so much of the other suffering in Buddhist terms that we all experience mentally or emotionally. There you have it. Next. (laughs) So I want to touch on a gentleman by the name of Martin Seligman or Seligman. And he's a pioneer of positive psychology. And so, you know, one, psychologists, you know, have tackled this concept of happiness. A lot of times, too, also looking at not just happiness, but in terms of like mental illness, too, what causes people to be depressed, right? So kind of looking at both of those ends of the spectrum. Now, with Slegman, he uses the scientific method to explore why happy people are happy, right? The scientific method being just kind of just questioning, doing research and observing, right? And just kind of coming up with that data that supports why happy people are happy. And so one of the things that he noticed was that the most satisfied and upbeat people were those that discovered and used what he calls their signature strengths. And so, you know, I think of that term and I imagine it's very much similar, if not the same thing as, you know, the concept that we discussed in in an earlier episode called unique ability, right? And so it's what makes us as individuals, as people unique and, and the strengths that we bring to the table and into this world. He also believed that happiness can be taught and learned, right? So that, you know, this is something that for those that are struggling and let's just say they are depressed or aren't as happy as they they like to be, you know, you could learn how to be happy. But this is where for Slegman, his work really jumped out and resonated at me was he talked about these three dimensions of happiness that could be cultivated. And so one of them is called the pleasant life. Then we go on to the good life. And then the third one is the meaning, meaningful life. And so the pleasant life really is all about pleasure and gratification. So I, you know, based off of some of the other individuals that we touched on, you know, I imagine this is kind of for those that in terms of the happiness that's more short term, that's kind of, that can be fleeting, right? And so he describes that stage as a stage in where we learn to kind of savor and appreciate the basic pleasures of, of life, which are companionship, right? Which I view just relationships. So just being in relationships with others. He also touches on the natural environment, you know, back to nature. I definitely feel a lot happier when I'm in nature, and then he also talks about our bodily needs. And again, when he talks about bodily needs, I just think of kind of just physical physical needs or worldly needs just in, in the moment, kind of what is it that we need to want to survive. I would, I would imagine having food, water, shelter, clothing, some of those things. And so the, the pleasant life for me is kind of, I view it as, kind of our mindset and the thoughts that we have on a daily basis, almost like how you could be happy at any given moment by just focusing on these little things. 
And then he talks about the good life. And the good life for him is all about our unique virtues and strengths. So the good life is really centered on, you know, this his whole concept of signature strengths and or, you know, what we describe as unique ability. And it's a matter of using using this unique ability creatively to enhance our own lives, right? So doing things that enhance and bring us this this higher level of happiness, which is you know, I view maybe people just focusing on their on their careers and leveraging their strengths to to generate more money and more income, right? To kind of create a certain lifestyle, I imagine that is the good life, right? And then the last one is again the meaningful life, which is all focused on meaning and purpose. And for him, it's all about this deep sense of fulfillment by using, again, our unique strengths and ability for a purpose that's greater than ourselves. And that's where I view when we start, we, you know, we kind of evolve and mature kind of past doing things that only benefit us, but doing things that benefit other people, that benefit those around us, our community, the world, you know, as a whole. To me, kind of that progression or those different those different dimensions, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, I totally see kind of and can relate to each one of them. And so, yeah, so that's Martin Slayton. Nice, nice. Yeah, I didn't know, I don't know too much about him. So that was, that was really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. We're going to wrap up with a researcher that I think most of you are familiar with. Abraham Maslow, his famous work of the hierarchy of needs. And I quote, the story of the human race is the story of men and women selling themselves short. So I think the interesting thing about Maslow's work is a clear tie to happiness with respect to kind of ascending up the hierarchy of needs to a point of really self-actualization and fulfillment. And is that we have sort of the basic needs of our lives satisfied and we can continue to move up that sort of progressive ladder or pyramid. When we find ourselves at the top, we find ourselves somewhat, and I will not quote him on this, but it seems like a state of happiness as we become fully aware of who we are and sort of, again, find this fulfillment and purpose and meaning in our lives. And I also think that the other little component of it, there is an, an alluding to sort of the, the idea of generosity and kindness. Again, once you have all of those basic needs met inside, much easier for you to take sort of this self-acquisition fulfillment really to the outside and give it to your fellow man and women. When I think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think it's very much in alignment with kind of Martin Slegman's, yeah. you know, different, the three dimensions. Right. Yeah, where you kind of have your basic needs met and then, you know, you go up and you're you're like able to achieve certain goals and dreams of yours. And then to me, self-actualization is really all about like finding purpose and meaning. Yeah, I think it's innate in that sort of process. So hopefully you've enjoyed 
some of these summaries of some of these great, you know, thinkers and spiritual leaders, psychologists and researchers that have put a lot of time and effort into trying to understand sort of what it is in leading this life being happy. One of the reasons it's part of the title of the podcast is this is something that both you and I are looking to like we explore and do. figure out what it is oh, for yes ourselves. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yes, we do indeed. And so with that, having gone through the research on the website, thepursuitofhappiness.org, and the pursuit of happiness is in the title. There's There's dashes there if you want to check it out. But on the website, they, t- they touch on the seven habits of happy people, which when Mark, when you and I went through it, it was a pretty comprehensive list. It was a great list. And so one of the reasons why we want to share that with you all, and Mark and I are looking to dig into a couple of them in more detail, but let me just share that list with you. So number one is relationships. And that there is all about being able to express your heart. Okay. Two is acts of kindness so cultivating kindness. Three is exercise and physical well-being. So just keep moving and eat well. Four, flow or find your flow, which for me, or it described on the website, it's about this joyful state when we're doing, doing challenging work that we're suited for and kind of aligns with our unique strengths and abilities. Five, spiritual engagement and meaning, right? Discovering meaning. Seven, strengths and virtues. This discover and using your strengths. And then the last one, seven, positive mindset, optimism, mindfulness, and gratitude. So a very comprehensive list. So with that, I know, Mark, you had one of them that you wanted to kind of touch on and dig into in a little bit more detail. So when I look at the circle of happiness. I see somewhat of an inside game for each of us in respect to how we define happiness for each of us. And when we find that within ourselves, I do think there's an outward expression of that happiness that kind of needs to complete what I call the happiness cycle or the happiness circle. And one of those things, I think the two biggest parts of that outward expression is both kindness and generosity. So the one thing that I wanted to tackle here was really acts of kindness and cultivating kindness. And I look at that a couple different ways. One is we do not live our lives isolated. We're social creatures. And I think our innate nature as human beings that are deeper than just the human experience, the physical experience, that there is a deeper experience to be had on life, on earth, in life on earth. And I think that it's that interconnectedness with those around us. And I think the expression that is the expression that will lead to a more happier state for all of us is to express kindness and generosity with others. And we're not the only ones that are really talking about it in this terms. But I think it's important because however we do it, whether we do it through acts of altruism or volunteering or 
some formation of communal relationships. I mean, we, we clearly know that people are more likely to, when, when there's closer interconnection community-wise, there is more support, and I think there's less tendency for people to feel isolated and maybe depressed and to be a little bit too looking inward on, a, on the dark side, if you will. Elizabeth Dunn, and we'll give you reference to this in the show notes, but you know she makes a really good case in her TED Talk and her study on happiness that those that give to others are typically happier with this sort of charitable mindset and this charitable activity. And that that level can actually be equivalent to making twice as much income. I mean, it's it has sort of a snowball effect in terms of how we feel. And the giving also matters in terms of how we give. And that the connection to others and to know how the actual giving is actually making a difference. Absolutely. Are really, really important to that that charitable and generous kindness that we're giving out to others. That it isn't just the act, but what's the act doing? Yes. Is all part of that. And hearing other people's stories with it in this kind of shared humanity experience that we have when we go outward in kindness, generosity, and charity. So I think for me, it's like that end loop of happiness and why it's so important and why we wanted to kind of, why I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper. What would be some examples of acts of kindness for you? The most recent example for me, which I think I did, I share this in a podcast that we actually ended up broadcasting. I don't remember, but I had with the homeless person. Yeah. So the backstory very, very quickly is my wife, Catherine, has always been focused on being generous to the homeless, typically those that are kind of standing in a street corner, that kind of thing. And when I was with a good friend and colleague of mine in San Francisco many, many years ago, I was struck by the fact that he was handing out like $20 bills to homeless people in Union Square in San Francisco. And I always thought that was cool. And long short is, I just eventually got to this point where I just felt like I just need to connect on this level with my fellow humans. And so I was downtown Chicago about a couple months ago and I walked out of my hotel room and I was heading down to grab something to eat and I walked by this homeless guy. And uh, I acknowledged him, but didn't do anything. I got to my destination and felt really bad about that. I was really hoping, 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 hoping that I would have a chance to kind of write what I felt was kind of my wrong in that moment, that I did not show generosity and kindness to him. I mean, I wasn't rude or anything like that, but it just didn't really kind of do what I felt in my heart I should do. Headed back, bingo, there he is. And I'm all excited. And so... Basically, I reached into my pocket. I don't remember exactly how much I gave him, but I think the most important thing for me from the kindness and the generosity standpoint was I basically looked him in the eye. I acknowledged him as a human being. I wished him well. I gave him whatever money I gave him. And it was, I don't know, it could have been 10 bucks. I don't remember what it was. It doesn't really matter because I think the more meaningful thing besides maybe what the money might do for him was that I, as a fellow human being, was acknowledging him as a fellow human being, as like a brother, Okay, I wasn't judging. I wasn't like wanting to know anything about like, how did you get like this, man? Like, what's the deal here? It was like, no judgment, 
just love. It really was just an acknowledgement of respect. And I remember just, you know, I didn't give him a hug or anything, but I patted him on the shoulder. I wished him well. And it was like, it was a tremendous charge for me. And it really encouraged me to do much more of that. And I did feel like it certainly bumped up my energy level. And I got to say, it definitely bumped up my happiness level. I mean, I felt connected in a way that did as much good for me as what I hope it did for him. And and there's that saying, right? It's better to give than to receive. I think it's so true. You, you kind of I think I did experience that. it that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I think of acts of kindness too, I mean, for me, it's a lot of times they're, they're just small acts. You know, an example of that would be, I know a lot of times just kind of awareness. Like if I'm going into a building or I'm opening up a door and I see someone behind me, like I'll leave the door open. I'll, I'll, I'll have them go yes, first, yes. right? Just little things like that. Things that you don't so have, true. you don't have to do, but you're just being mindful and you're not just thinking about yourself. You're like, okay, there's someone else that's there or even opening acts of kindness to our, to our significant others, just opening the door for them, you know, little things like that. Right. I mean, makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, one of the, you know, out of the seven, I wanted to touch on relationships and this whole concept of ex- being able to express your heart. And I think there's so much power in that. You know, you touch on that, Mark, regarding just interconnectedness. You know, one, we are relational beings. We are. And the studies have shown that people who have one or more close friendships are happier. And that not only that, but it's it's not about the, the quantity of the relationship, but the quality, right? And so being able to share your personal feelings about things yeah. with someone who's not going to judge you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you could just open and being, being able to express your heart to one plays a huge role in being able to relieve stress yep. and, as well as depression and therefore leads to higher levels of happiness, Right. And so there's also a TED talk that I want to share with you all. It's called What Makes a Good Life Lessons from the Longest Study on Happiness by Robert Waldinger. And so what this TED talk was about is Harvard, there's a Harvard study done on human development. Yeah. And it's the longest study, I think, ever. And what they did is they, over a course of 75 years, they studied. 724 men from two different parts of life. One of them was a group of inner city boys in Boston's poorest neighborhood. And another group, I believe, was was more affluent, a group of boys that ended up going to college and ultimately was involved in World War II. And they followed these, these two groups over the course of 75 years. And what they found out was that those boys who ultimately became men, those that had good relationships were happier and healthier, period, right? And so, you know, they're following these boys over the course of their lives and asking them questions, engaging kind of where, how how they feel and where they're at in life. And this is one of the things that that they learned, right? And, And it was ultimately that social connections are really good for us, right? That feeling lonely is the complete opposite of 
doing something that'll create more more happiness, right? So that, again, that connection, the quality of close relationships do matter. And so, you know, they talked about, you know, some of these men and, the, you know, their marriages. And although their marriages, like all marriages, were not perfect, they were able to work through some of those conflicts and those things and having the peace of mind knowing that when things got bad that that person that in this case in these marriage relationships that their spouse wasn't going to kind of throw in the towel and call it quits but that they were going to be there for them through thick and thin it just you know it created this deeper sense of happiness and then the last thing was that good relationships they protect our brains too so it's not just physical health but mental health so they they noticed a a connection between those that did have these relationships and from a mental standpoint they were just better off than those that didn't just very interesting and i know for mark for you and me we're we're really big on relationships and so i would definitely say that what i shared here is definitely true for me in in my life that i do have a number of quality relationships and people that I know I could turn to and I could I could be open with and and it's not just that too but also being on the other end having those relationships where I want to be there for others and and be the one that they could be open with right yeah so yeah. it's you know it's kind of that give and take that with those relationships I do have a certain a deeper sense of of happiness mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. of the people that I have in my life totally get it couldn't agree more And lastly, we're going to touch on spiritual engagement and meaning in relation to happiness. This is a subject near and dear to our hearts, is it not? Yes. Spirituality, big piece of it in our opinion with respect to happiness. However you define that, it's really not important. But I think that for all of us, and this is sort of be my contribution to the subject short and sweet, to whatever degree any of us can really tap into our deeper self, whether you want to call it a soul, whether you want to call it your heart, whatever you want to call it. I think most people will acknowledge there is sort of the self and then there's like the higher self or the deeper self. And I think that this is where the core of spirituality does exist for all of us. And for all of us, it's a different experience. And I don't expect that we would all experience it quite the same way. But I do think that there is a direct link to us being happy and being in a really state of happy and being connected and being able to access this deeper higher part of ourselves. And I think that's why we're also talking about it as an important part of that list of seven. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think back and reflect on just my spiritual journey and, and the spiritual growth that I've gone through, I would say the last 10 plus years. And as it relates to happiness, it definitely has had an effect on how happy I am, for sure. I mean, when I think about some of the different things that we've talked about already, 
such as, you know, one, just companionship, just being with nature. I mean, through my spiritual journey, I mean, those are things that I've kind of just been more aware of and like, you know, every day just being grateful of the day that I have in front of me and kind of just being more in the moment. So, you know, from that to, you know, when I think of spirituality with whatever you believe in, I think one of the things that a lot of the major religions and spiritual teachings really touch on and and try to focus on is really finding a sense of meaning and purpose in life. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why happiness and meaning and purpose kind of are related to each other. And so, you know, with that, you know, I think one, I think there is happiness to be gained through figuring out like who you are and, and why you're here, right? Back to those two key questions and that we do have a purpose, you know, we each have a purpose and, and that purpose is not just for our own, to satisfy our own desires individually, but there's a greater purpose for us, which is to affect others around around us and to kind of play this role that each and every single one of us has and, and a unique role for that matter just in the world, Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, the world would be different if each if each of us was not here. And so, yeah, when I think about spiritual engagement, I definitely feel there's there's that component yes. that relates and generates the happiness. For sure. And it's more, certainly not a, the thing of it is when we find meaning and purpose, it's not a fleeting pleasure. It's truly a state of happiness when we know we're in it. Yeah. And so... Final thoughts, my friend, as we are wrapping up this little framework of happiness. What's your takeaway from all of this that we've learned and shared? My takeaway, you know, having learned more about some of these individuals that have studied and questioned the happiness, is that there's a lot of overlap for me. There's a lot of overlap. You know, each one of them kind of has a, a little bit of a different spin on it, but I think all of it relates and is is true. Back to, you know, one, you know, I do feel happiness is a desire that we all have, but that ultimately we are responsible for our own happiness. There's nothing that anybody else can do to truly make us happiness or make us happy. I mean, they could do something to give to make us happy in that moment, but I think one of the things that I'm really focused on and I want to make sure that those that are listening think about too is just this deeper sense of happiness, what we call true happiness. And it's you know, it's something that is not just about us, but you know, when I think of happiness, it's and I think of us as human beings, you know, if you think about us being like a cup, right? That when we're truly happy, you know, we're filling up our cup. And that true happiness is about getting to that point where our cup is overflowing and we're able to fill, you know, at least affect other people too. And, you know, that's through these acts of kindness, generosity, 
one just having deeper purpose and meaning to affect other other people and helping them find find their true happiness in life what about for you my friend well i think few things one it's an inside game it starts as an inside game but it is more than an inside game that when you have it on the inside you need to bring it out and it needs to be expressed and connected with other people in this mirror ways that we've discussed. That's number one. Number two is I do see it as much different from sort of a pleasurable feeling. And I think that there actually is sort of a state of happiness that one can achieve. And I think at the root and the core of that, that's a common theme that's running through pretty much everybody that we researched, is there has to be some level of meaning. And I think there has to be some level of purpose in order to achieve more of the state of happiness. Or when one gets to the end of one's life, that they can look back and say, that was a happy life. you know. And it's all part of those seven, the relationships, the being in the flow. I mean, I think for one to truly get to the end game of happiness, one does need to experience this at some level on a regular basis, all seven of those habits of happy people. They need to be innate in us and that we're doing them, experiencing them, and living them. I almost think of, too, like happiness is really about like those habits that we touched on. Mm-hmm. Those are like life skills. They are. Those are all life skills. They are that, kind of skills. That we don't... Should be teaching those. Yeah, we should be teaching those. pretty foundational. Yeah, no, they are. Links right in there with living an inspired life yep. and a life of freedom. So, And that is what this podcast is all about. So we hope that the discussion and conversation around happiness has helped to at least kind of expand your understanding of it for whatever that is for you and that it will lead to greater freedom as well as you begin employing some of these things and just be aware and self-examine and self-discover what that is for you in seeking a life of happiness and in your pursuit, if I may use that word. Yes, the pursuit, it being a journey. Exactly. So until then, and the journey will continue in episode four. And we look forward to reconnecting with all of you then. Till the next episode, everyone. Thanks for listening. And hope you're happy. And on your way to happiness. Until then. Some of the concepts and tools used in the process of helping you discover a more balanced and inspired life are provided by the Kinder Institute, Money Quotient, and The Strategic Coach. These may be referenced throughout different episodes of the podcast, and you can learn more about each of them in our show notes at hwph.org. You can also find more information about the work Mark and Aries do at sandiegowealth.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and available directly via email with feedback, questions, and more at us at hwph.org. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.